This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Brace yourself for a flavor explosion, food lovers. This is the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. This is Season 13, Episode 12. Today we crack open the culinary world of author Blanche Vaughn, a Michelin Ford chef who weaves magic with the simplest ingredients. Forget fancy gimmicks, Blanche is all about letting fresh flavors sing, and sing they do. In her pages from House and Garden, The Guardian, and her five delightful cookbooks, including the brand new House and Garden, A Year in the Kitchen. Are you ready to learn the secrets of everyday kitchen alchemy? Let's get cooking with Blanche Vaughn. I want to thank my listeners for returning and being patient. We've had a bit of a hiatus uh, because of issues in my life, but the podcast will be returning uh, regularly in February, and I want to thank you for listening. On we go to my conversation with Blanche Vaughn. Welcome to the Well Season Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. Today, I am so very happy and honored to be talking with Blanche Vaughn, who is a food writer and chef, who has a new cookbook out, A Year in the Kitchen, Seasonal Recipes for Everyday Pleasure. Blanche, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dean, and it's lovely to be here. Now, I just want to say, I, I want to hear about your journey from your childhood home to your current culinary haven. Could you share some insights into your upbringing and where you call home today? Well, my upbringing was great in a, in a food sense. Um, I'm one of five children and my mother is a fabulous cook. She's one of those old school cooks, you know, she, she, her cookbooks were Elizabeth David, Jane Grigson, but she also had this sort of sense of modernity. So when we were in, we spent a lot of time in the countryside uh, where she grew vegetables. So I was very connected to seasonal food, even as a child. And she'd take us foraging down the hedgerows, picking blackberries and sloes and damsons and all those sort of wonderful things. But when we came to London, which was quite frequently, she was really into knowing what was going on in the food world. Not that she worked in it at all. She worked in fashion, but she'd take us even as quite young children to restaurants to try things out, or she'd sort of, you know, find out where good ingredients were sold. And so I feel like I had a really great grounding from home. Um, and I've just taken that through life really. So most importantly for me, good home food is the thing. I now spend a lot of time in Devon, which is um, a county in southwest England. It's partly coastal, but we live we live on the edge of wild Dartmoor, which is a which is a wonderful place to live. And there are a lot of artisans and food producers. It's very much sort of 
uh, animal country there. So it's, you know, farmers have sheep, cattle, it's not so good for large scale agriculture, uh, so arable farming. And there's a, there's a good food community, um, but it keeps me really rooted to the seasons. And I've got a veg garden there too. So things carry on as my mother taught me. <laughs> Do you recall any particular cooking experiences from your childhood that sparked your passion for food and maybe left a mark on your culinary journey? Absolutely. I think so much of my um, early experiences have informed what I do later, as I mentioned, the, the, the foraging and the, and the eating out. I remember when, when your mum's a really good cook, you don't actually need to do that much cooking yourself. So I remember yeah. trying out little things in the kitchen um, between meal times. I had a Beatrix Potter cookbook and I made... I made lavender biscuits. So I went out into the garden and I picked lavender and they're basically shortbread biscuits with crushed lavender in. But that at the time felt like it was quite exotic. <laughs> um, and, you know, we try little bits and pieces. It wasn't until I was about 16 and I was living at home and some the parents of some friends of mine very kindly took us for lunch at the river cafe and it blew my mind i thought it was amazing and my mum had the blue river cafe book at that time and i remember that was the first recipe book that i seriously started trying to cook the recipes from and I used to, I had a friend at school who really liked food as well. And on our way to school every morning, our conversation would always be, what did you have for dinner? And so it really sort of started from there. At what point in your life did you think, you know, I want to be a food writer. I want to be a chef. How did um, those paths come for you? Well, it was, it was slightly controversial because at the school that I went to for, for my last two years, which of the A-level years, was a was a really quite an academic school and everybody left there and went on to university. But I just knew that I wanted to carry on working or not carry on because I'd never done it before, but I wanted to pursue a career in food in some way. And I just didn't quite know how I was going to do that. But once you've got the fire inside you, you just sort of make your own path, don't you? So off I went and I went and took myself to live in Italy for a few years because for me that was like the holy grail of food. Oh, wow. Um, and I learned to cook. I learned to cook. I learned to speak Italian. I learned to cook just, you know, from going to the markets and finding beautiful things to cook with and eating in restaurants and seeing how they did it and trying to recreate those things. And it really led on from there. And when I found myself back in England, I, 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 I did I actually did a couple of shifts at a restaurant which was um, owned and run by a fabulous English chef called Alistair Little, and it was in Soho. And I went and did a couple of shifts there, and I, I learned two things. I, I learned how much I love restaurants, and I learned that. I really needed to learn a lot more before I worked in them. So I went and did a year's cooking course at a, at a culinary institute called Leith's. And from there, I, I set off on my first job at Morrow. 
So uh, bringing that up, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because um, you've worked at some amazing establishments. Um, you've worked at world-renowned places like uh, Morrow, the River Cafe, which we mentioned, and uh, St. John, which I'm particularly interested in. Um, can you talk about these experiences and how they kind of changed your life? Absolutely. And they really did change my life. Firstly, I was very, very lucky because whether it was my own intuition or just sheer luck, I ended up in kitchens that were really nurturing and they were really, they spent a lot of time uh, teaching the young chefs and the new chefs how to cook in their specific way. Um, both Morrow and the River Cafe. So I started at Morrow and then went up and where I worked for a few years and then went on to the River Cafe and they were run in a very similar way um, because the, the, the chef owners of Morrow had met and trained at the River Cafe. So they were kind of replicating a lot of the systems and that system was not the traditional um, restaurant hierarchy system. It was based on meritocracy so you everybody whatever their experience would turn up and work on the cold section and then as you got better you'd move up through the sections but still even if you were the head chef you might sometimes do some shifts on the cold section so it wasn't the traditional arrangement where you only um, uh, apply for a job on one section and you continue to work on that section so it gave me a really broad range of experience I learned to do loads of things at Morrow what was amazing at Morrow was we cooked on natural um natural heat so we had a we had a, a barbecue grill which we lit oh, wow. every morning and, and added coals to as we were cooking and we had a wood-fired oven and we also had a gas ring and a, and a uh, you know an oven and all a gas oven but you know those were those were like secondary heat sources so right. there's this incredible thing of not just learning how to cook but learning how to manage heat um and the river cafe as you probably know is that their, their their focus on the quality of ingredients was second to none and it was just so fascinating to really understand what quality ingredients do to food. Um, and as Ruthie Rogers always said, less is more. And she was absolutely right. That was their philosophy. And then St. John, which was a completely different experience. And they 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 adhered more to the traditional kitchen setup. They, the dessert section was 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 actually in another kitchen um, in the downstairs space of the restaurant. But again, it was you know there there were a lot, it was much more male kitchen, and we had to be yeah. strong and tough and haul things around. But they really took so much care in teaching me and. Um, tea, and and looking after all the staff, it was a <clears throat> it was a great environment. And as a result, I learned a huge amount during my seven or eight years that I was cooking there. I also did, and this sort of gives you a sense of how um, how sort of supportive and interested they were in um, in the chefs. Between my between working at the River Cafe in St John, I I decided to take the summer off. 
and Rose Gray, who was who was then at the River Cafe, who's sadly not with us any longer. Um, she said, "Look, you've you've got to go and work at Chez Panisse." So she called up Alice Waters, and oh, wow. she arranged for me to go and spend the summer there, which was, as you can imagine, you know, another incredible experience. Um, so yeah, I felt like we weren't we weren't just employed chefs. We were, you know, we were really part of the family. I didn't know you had spent time at Chez Penny, and that's wonderful to find out. How did you like Berkeley? I loved Berkeley. I absolutely love Berkeley. I love the, I love the size of it. You know, yeah. it's after London. It's um, it's like a little village. Yeah. I also loved what it was, um, the gateway to. You know, it was so yeah. fun doing trips um, on days off up into Sonoma and mm -hmm. the wine country and the countryside, the lakes. That wonderful Bass Lake went swimming in. I love going to the farmers markets and because I was technically in you know I was employed but it was a very in, informal um arrangement because I didn't have an American visa and it was only going to be for a short time I was sent off to meet the farmers and um have conversations with the people that were producing the food and this of course sort of resonated with my childhood because where I spent a lot of time growing up in Herefordshire we were surrounded by farmers and that yeah production of food that connection with it was very much part of of my life always had been um so it was nice to to uh, be reminded of that again i'd like to talk about some of your um writing in uh, 2011 you were one of the contributing authors to the great british food revival book can you tell us about the significance of this project and the impact that it had on you it, it really was a significant project because it was it was what I it was like my first gig in writing um, or my first published gig. I'd I'd had to stop cooking at St. John after a couple of years because I'd had a really bad back injury and physically I wasn't able to sustain that kind of level of work in the kitchen. So I'd I'd started doing some writing um for the uh, Guardian m m online, writing about an allotment blog. So the stuff that I was picking, growing, cooking, and it was a really great thing to do. Um, and it was because of that, the publishers who were producing the Great British Food Revival got in touch with me and said, we would really like you to contribute I think it was it was the majority of recipes actually to the book and of course it was just so up my street you know it was British seasonal ingredients so it was a real marker in many ways and also a lovely way into the world of book publishing. You um, collaborated next with uh, Julian Metcalf on Itsu the cookbook this was in 2014. It's a testament to your culinary prowess. What made this particular uh, partnership so fruitful and what aspects of the cookbook resonated with you the most? So it's kind of interesting in England. I don't know if it's the same with, with you, but we tend to get quite pigeonholed in our careers. And yeah. although I was obviously always working in, in food, I began to be pigeonholed into a specific type of food. So 
yeah. this was a really interesting opportunity to to show that I didn't just know how to do European food. Um, Julian was a fabulous person to work with, and he really gave me totally free reign creatively. And it came at a really good time because I recently traveled to Japan and Shanghai, um, not least to, to sort of get a bit of get a bit of experience about their culinary culture. But, you know, it wasn't something that I was planning to write a book about. So this opportunity came along at a wonderful time and it really allowed me to look at Japanese specifically and Asian cooking, but through the eyes of the, you know, the, the, the normal consumer. So the person walking down the street that wants to nip in and grab something quick to eat and doesn't want to go to some sort of kaisiki, um, you know, restaurant in, in, in Tokyo that they've flown across the world to do. And it's got like 12 courses. So it was a really fun, it was a really fun way to fiddle around with those ingredients and make stuff that actually people were going to make at home. Um, and, and I really enjoyed doing it and I learned a lot from it. And I have now have an enduring love of try you know that 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 food culture but I also make a lot of it at home I've just been given a book um about a Japanese Californian restaurant in San Francisco that's opened by a guy um who who, who cooked at Chez Panisse for about six years I've forgotten the name of it but it might ring a bell um oh, I'm running out blank I'm sorry I'd Okay, let me tell you what it's called because it was really Rintaro. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, and a, anyway, so a book, a book like that normally would have seemed impenetrable, but now that I've done this work and I did this work with Julian, I feel like I can dive into that and really just have a go. As somebody who has a passion for healthy eating, I'm you know I'm intrigued by your perspective on superfoods, which you talked about. What recommendations would you offer to those who struggle to incorporate these nutrient-rich ingredients into their weekly cooking? I love that question because I think there's something about superfoods that is staring us right in the face and we choose to ignore, okay? So a lot of people, when, when they think superfood, they think they've got to go and buy a specialist product from a health food shop or you know, even a pharmacy. Um, but I think that really the stuff that we need to get is all, okay, I do soak some chia seeds and have them for breakfast. I will, I will yeah. admit that. Um, <laughs> but I think all those nutrients that we need, we get from really well-produced fruit and vegetables. And when I mean well-produced, I mean produced with no um chemical intervention, seasonal, freshly harvested so that they're retaining a lot of their goodness. I I wrote a column for House and Garden over the past, um, no, the year before last, I did a whole year of it talking about seasonal ingredients. And I enjoyed obviously talking about how we cook with them, but I also allowed myself to go into a bit more research into, you know, the what they provided for us nutritionally and I love that 
you know, there are if you if you choose to eat purple things like beetroots, um, purple cabbage, um, you know, anything basically with the naturally purple color, you know, your uh, pomegranates, for example, they're full of anthocyanins, which are some of the best antioxidants. And it's kind of fun just sort of learning what nature can provide for us in terms of, of, of superfoods. I want to talk about um, your time um, as food editor of House and Garden and how has this created um, a change in your life? How has it changed your perspective on food and cooking? It's a really, it's a really great role to have. And um, one of the most, one of the most fun things about it is I get to ask some of my favorite cooks and chefs to write the recipes for me that I want to cook at home. Um, but actually, you know, joking aside, it's it's really allowed me to, to, to take a broader perspective on what it is that people actually really want to eat and how they really want to cook. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of food writing out there which is um obviously you know really good, but but often a bit hard for people to incorporate into their home cooking routines. And I like to really feel that what, what I'm commissioning or what I'm writing uh, are things that are gonna get into people's kitchens and they're gonna, they're gonna be able to really enjoy them. They're not just looking at them from afar. So it's been really fun to do that. It's also, it's also a great way to stay so plugged into the food world. You know, I hear about all the new restaurant openings, all the new products, um, all the new cookbooks. It's a really, it's a fabulous job and I've so I've really enjoyed doing it. Your newest book is The Impressive A Year in the Kitchen. This book's a delightful celebration of seasonal flavors. What inspired you to um, start this book and can you tell us about the unique perspectives that this book provides? So having written recipes for House and Garden for the past, you know, almost eight years, I realized that actually people are, you know, they're looking at these recipes on the page, they're beautifully photographed, they're beautifully styled, but this is a magazine about about people's homes and people's gardens. And I wanted to literally take that from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. So I wanted to create this book where people could feel like they were actually walking into that home and laying the table and putting the flowers on it and making the food and getting their friends around and kind of really inspire them to, to to see that happen and see the sort of fruition of that. And so I used my own story um, to illustrate it, I suppose. So it's quite a personal book in the sense that I talk about why I chose these recipes, why I like to eat things at that time of year. And I'm hoping that, you know, these are things that, that a lot of people are gonna feel resonate with them too. Um, and the idea that food, you know, cooking something doesn't have to be a big deal it can be just a simple thing but you can elevate that experience by you know maybe putting some nice 
things on the table, a candle or some glasses or a little bunch of flowers. And even if it's a bowl of soup and it's just two of you, you then get the sense that it's a little bit of a ritual and the whole thing is just, it's, an, it's a lovely moment to have in your day. Um, so I I hope that, you know, that the, the book will will just sort of take people into the home and, and help them to really experience that and enjoy that side of life. I loved reading the book. Um, I got a chance to get an advanced copy of it. And I loved I just sitting down with a cup of tea and just reading it uh, cover to cover, because it's one of those books where while it is a cookbook, of course, it's got gorgeous photographs and it's got your wonderful writing. Was that kind of your intent when you're going into it? Because it really has a from the cover, which is gorgeous, to the interior photographs, it has this kind of very homey feeling. Was that the intent? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that that's what came through to you. Because in the end, you know, home is where we cook, right? Unless yeah. you're cooking in a restaurant. Um, and I think because, because I did it with House and Garden magazine, we've we've also got the opportunity to show how all these different homes can be laid out or the choices that people make to make their home feel like a home so it was very nice to be able to illustrate it in that way and we've also got so many fabulous food photographers whose work is in the book um and so i feel like there's there's different kind of perspectives and angles on things yet the whole thing feels very cohesive um, when it's all brought together in that way. It's, it, as I said um, earlier, it was, it's visually stunning. Well, how did you feel when you first saw the finished product, when you got your galley proof of that? How must, how must that have felt for you? You know, it's really, that's my hardest bit is when I first see it because you put so much work in and suddenly it's there, you know, it's like, it's like someone sort of presenting you with the newborn screaming baby that's sort of yeah. covered in stuff. And, you know, it feels a bit like that. However, I, I really love it. And all the decisions that we, we wavered over, I feel like we made the right choice on. Um, I'm so happy with the cover and particularly that it's it's vegetables and not, and not a photograph because I think the book has contained so many beautiful photographs we we couldn't have chosen the best one for the cover um and I also really like that it's not just photographs there's there are illustrations too and I feel that that kind of gives it that organic sense which is a, is a very important thing to come through in the cookbook because ultimately you know this is these are tactile ingredients that we're going to be working with in the end um and it's been such a great book to work on i've really enjoyed that sense of collaboration um both with the house and garden team who helped me gather everything together um and the support but you know it's hard work doing a book and deadlines are not your friend <laughs> i'm glad you mentioned the look of the book too because i mean i really love the cover um it has a beautiful kind of a a nice i want to say um pink kind of edge on on the binding and then it's got these lovely pictures of um 
of like I think it's charred and different greens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Cover, cover but below, it's art. Yeah. Charred and curly kale. Yeah. And, and it's beautiful because I mean, as somebody who's a librarian, I see all these books that are mass produced. They're just churned out, and they usually just have a photo of the author on the cover and the title, blah blah blah. And this looked like it had actually was curated. It had some um, attention paid to it, and it's beautiful because it's almost like a work of art. It's something you could have in your kitchen, and it kind of invites the eye. Don't you think like it just makes you look, it kind of draws your attention to it a little bit. I completely agree. And the fact that there, those um, illustrations on the front are slightly embossed. So it yeah. gives them a really 3D quality, uh, which I which I love. Um, the photos inside are great. And, and also, I was so lucky with this one because it went through two art directors. It had... The, the 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 eyes of our um, house and garden art director who's fabulous and it had the eyes of the publishing house art director so not one page was was you know was un, unconsidered um so it's been it's been a real labor of love um but as i say it's been a it's been a wonderful collaboration with all those talents and i felt that that it's a lovely place for my recipes to um to be able to sit now. Now I just I mean I can't speak enough about it because I'm I'm a former bookseller and now I'm a librarian and as somebody who gets to work with books a lot it's nice to see something that's singular that really seems to be curated and made by made with love and I really feel like this was a work of love. Well, that's really lovely to hear. Thank you. Blanche, I want to ask you, um, looking towards the future, what kind of exciting projects are you working on now? Well, it's always good looking towards the future, and there's, there's, I've got, I've got a few things that I'm, um, that I'm really interested in. Obviously, more growing, um, more gardening. The publicity tour for the book has been really fun because I've met quite a lot of people who've, who not not just food people, but people who work in in gardens and decorating as well and I'm already sort of talking to people about doing some collaborations with them there's you know that to me to me the growing world is is not just fruit and veg um and although right. I'll continue to write the recipes it's lovely to um to just sort of really think beyond you know so when I'm thinking of like the color palette of how a recipe looks when it's completed then you know maybe I'll think about the color palette of the flowers that I'm putting on the table too yeah. um and always I'm just thinking about what it is that people really want to eat so whether it's incorporating some new food trend or whether it's focusing on how we're producing some particular ingredient in this country. I think, you know, I'll always stick to my roots of really good, simple food, but um, everything can always be sort of, you know, thought about further and, and re-examined. So I think there's a lot of work ahead of me and I'm looking forward to it. Blanche, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I really enjoy getting a chance to talk to you. I want to encourage our listeners to go out and get a copy of Year in the Kitchen. You'll love it yourself, and also it makes a wonderful gift for the holidays. We have links to that in the bio. Blanche, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I've really had a lovely conversation with you. Thank you, too. It's been great fun chatting to you.
That was my conversation with author Blanche Vaughn. We were talking about her new book, A Year in the Kitchen, that is available now through all major retailers, and we have links to it in the bio. We'll be returning to our regularly scheduled podcast with weekly episodes starting in February. I want to thank my listeners for staying with me during this time of uh, hardship. Uh, I've been kind of working out some issues, so I haven't been recording as much, but I will be returning soon in February to weekly uh, episodes. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you all, and Happy New Year.